Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. Well, good evening again, everybody. How you doing? Glad that you're here tonight. What I have to talk to you about tonight isn't earth-shattering, it isn't earth-shaking for you, but I, I hope that it helps you because one of the things that we struggle with in our lives is the sovereignty of God. Number one, it's hard to understand. What in the world does that mean, sovereignty? What does that mean? Stay tuned. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But we want to talk about the sovereignty of God tonight. And there's David, the psalmist, really helped us when he wrote Psalm 105 to understand the ins and outs of God's sovereignty and how it relates to our lives. In fact, how it relates to the whole world. Because sometimes you look around and you wonder, who's in charge? Does God really know what's going on in my life? Does God really paying attention? Are the hard things that I'm walking through, is God doing those things? Or is that because of my bad shit? We want to take a look at that. David kind of helps us out. And in so doing, what, what he encourages us to do in Psalm 105 is to remember. It is through remembering what God has done that he helps us to understand what God is doing and the sovereignty of God. Now, this chapter is a little lengthy. You know, I hold the, uh, I hold the record for having the most slides up there. There's a hundred and some odd slides. Tonight, we've got about half that, so rejoice. It's not going to be that bad. Um, but nevertheless, the people up in the booth up there are going to be, uh, you know, do, don't you appreciate what they do? You, you don't even know they're up there. Would you give them a hand and say thank you? Thank you, guys and girls, and all of you who are on the technical team. We're grateful for what you do. I'm going to just read through Psalm 105, and here's what I want to encourage you to do. You can, you can watch it on the screen and, and, and read along with me if you want to, but I can tell you that if you will take a look at the notes that you have, and you'll see that it's rather lengthy, and you'll see that there are words that are bolded in there, I want you to pay attention to the fact that those words that are bolded are, are action words, they're verbs, they are things that say what we're supposed to do, but more importantly, many more of them are things that God did. That's how he demonstrates, David demonstrates through this psalm, the sovereignty, the activity of God in the lives of his people. So let's read through it together. I'm, I'm pretty much just going to read through it really, not quickly, but read through it. And I want you to pay attention to all of the things that God did as David remembers really just one, one account of what God did in the lives of his people. Verse number one, he's saying this to us. Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. We just sang a song earlier tonight. This is my testimony. Everybody has a testimony. And what we're commanded to do is to tell of all of the good things that God has done in the world and in our lives. First to sing to him, sing praises. Tell everybody about his wonderful deeds. Now, here's a really great word. We, you, I'm sure you use this word every day. Exult in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Now, it's interesting to me. This is the New Living Translation. It's a more modern translation. It's not King James, and yet they still use the word exult. Now, let me ask you, how many of you have used the word exult one way or another in the last 10 years? <laughs> We don't generally tell, Walter did, thank, so talk to him about how you do that, but, but, but typically we don't. And here's the reason why, because the word exult is not something that makes a whole lot of sense in the context of our, of, of our culture. 
But here's what it really means. It's the Hebrew word halal. Halal. Sounds similar to another word that we often do use. Hallelujah. That's halal. Give glory. Give praise. And yah at the end of hallelujah is give glory to God, Yahweh. So what David is saying is halal, say great things about him, give praise to his name, worship his name as you sing to him and sing his praises, tell everyone about his wonderful deeds, exult his holy name, halal, admire, speak well of, make known, praise, boast, celebrate, commend. Those are the things that we do when we sing worship songs on Sundays and Wednesday nights. Some churches just refer to that as singing. Let's worship Lord through singing. These, the songs that we sing are chosen because they allow us to express through words, to exult through words, give glory to God for the good things that he's done. So in a nutshell, David is saying, listen, God's done all these great things, and your responsibility and my responsibility is to give him glory, give him praise, give him really the credit for all of the things that he has done. Verse number four, search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Now, that's something that we're supposed to do. I kind of want God to find me and look me up when it's convenient, and don't you? But David is saying, don't, don't fool around here. Go look for him. Go seek him. Search for the Lord and his strength. Continually seek him. And now here comes the part that he's about to help us do when he says, remember the wonders that he has performed, his miracles, and the rulings he has given. You children of the servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His justice is seen through the land. And now he's going to begin to tell us all of the things that God has done and does. He always stands by his covenant. He's faithful the covenant that he made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant that he made with Abraham and the oath that he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree and to the people of Israel as a never-ending covenant. And this is what it was. He said, I will give you the land of Canaan as your special possession. He said this when they were few in number, a, a tiny group of strangers in Canaan. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. And yet, here's an interesting thing, and yet he, God, did not let, did not allow, did not permit anyone to oppress them. Think about that. They were walking through all of these different lands, lands that didn't belong to them, people who were hostile to them. And however he did it, God did not allow those people to oppress them and to do them any harm. He warned kings on their behalf. How did he do that? He did that through prophets. He would send the prophets to the, the, the warring kings and tell them, listen, don't, don't fool with my people. In fact, verse 15 says that. Do not touch my chosen people and don't hurt my prophets. And then here's what he did to help convince all of these rulers what needed to happen. And especially in this case, He's talking about when Moses went and spoke to Pharaoh. God called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off, this is the beginning of that story. God called for a famine in the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. 
And then he sent someone, he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them. Who was that? Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters, that's irons, and they placed his neck in an iron collar. And until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Don't let yourself get lost in that word, tested. The word for testing is actually refined. It is the same, it's the, it's the word that we get our concept of smelting, melting down metal and purifying it. It's not saying that he tested Joseph's character. What it's saying is he refined it during those times. Remember all of the years that Joseph spent in jail, in prison? All the years that his, after his family sold him into slavery? During all those days, God didn't forget about him. God was smeltering him. He was improving him. He was, he was testing Joseph's character. Verse 20, then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household, and he became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides however he pleased and teach the king's advisors. Another translation says he could exercise absolute control. How in the world does that happen? Because a sovereign God makes it so in spite of all of the difficulty that God asked Joseph to go through. He asked Joseph, required Joseph to go through it so that his character could be changed so that he could do what comes next. Verse 23, then Israel arrived in Egypt. Remember, there's a famine. You know the story. Jacob lived there as a foreigner in the land of Ham. And the Lord multiplied the people of Israel until they became too mighty for their enemies. Now stop for a minute. Do you remember the promise that God swore to Abraham that he would have descendants that were like the stars in the sky? For all those years, it didn't happen. But when they were there in Egypt, it began to happen. God began to fulfill his promise. Did he, did he, did he fulfill his promise completely at that time? No, but he did begin it. And he has and will, by the way, fulfill that promise. The Lord multiplied the people of Israel until they became too mighty for their enemies. Then he, God, turned the Egyptians against them. Notice that it doesn't say, and then the Egyptians turned against them. It says God turned the Egyptians against them. What? Would God do that to his own people? Yes, he would. And he did. He turned them against the, as the Israelites and plotted, and they plotted against the Lord's servants. But, but then the Lord sent his servant Moses along with Aram, who he had chosen. They performed miraculous signs among the Egyptians and wonders in the land of Ham. And God began to do some things to help Pharaoh, as you know the story, to understand that God was really saying, let my people go. The Lord blanketed Egypt in darkness, for they had defied his commands to let his people go. What did he do next? He turned their water into blood and poisoned all the fish. Who did that? Polluters? No, God did that. God did that. Then frogs overran the land and even invaded the king's bedroom. Verse 31, when the Lord spoke... Flies descended on the Egyptians, and gnats swarmed across Egypt. Wait a minute. God does stuff like that? 
Yeah, he does, and he did. He ruined their grapevines and fig trees and shattered all the trees. He spoke again, and hordes of locusts came, young locusts beyond numbers. Isn't that a great word picture? God speaks, and all of a sudden just with something like out of a movie or something like that. But that's exactly what happened. Would God do that? Would God send bugs? Yes, and he did. They ate up everything green in the land, destroying all the crops in their fields. Then the Lord brought his people out of Egypt. Wait a minute. You mean they didn't just leave on their own? No. God brought them out of Egypt. Think of all these action verbs of what God is doing. He loaded them down with silver and gold, and not one among the tribe of Israel even stumbled. Wow. How does that happen? Because God sovereignly moved and helped that to happen, made that happen. Verse 38, Egypt by that time was glad that they were gone, for they feared them greatly. And truth be told, they probably feared their God more than they feared Israel. Verse 39, the Lord spread a cloud above them as a covering as they traveled and gave them a great fire to light the darkness when they traveled at night and camped at night. They asked for meat, and he sent them quail. He satisfied their hunger with manna, bread from heaven. They needed water, so what did he do? He split the rock, and water gushed out to form a river through the dry wasteland. For he remembered his sacred promise to his servant, Abraham. Now, let me be really clear on, in this sentence. When it says he remembered his promise, it doesn't mean that he forgot it, and then all of a sudden, like you and I do, oh, yeah, I forgot. I promised him that I would do that. What it means is, as a part of making sure that his promise was visited, he did all of these things because of what he had promised that he would do. God never forgets his promise. He does it because he promised. He remembered his sacred promise to this, his servant Abraham, and therefore he did all of these things that the Bible says before this that he did. That's why he did it. So he brought out his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. He gave his people the lands of pagan nations, and they harvested crops that others had planted. Here's an important verse. Don't miss this. All of this that we just read, all these things that God did, all of these things that God commanded because of his promise, all of these things happened so that those people would follow him, would obey his instructions. And then the psalmist finishes this off by saying, praise the Lord. Yeah. The sovereignty of God is an amazing thing. God is sovereign. What that means is that he has absolute authority. And he exercises that authority in some pretty interesting ways, ways that we don't expect, ways that we don't understand, ways that sometimes don't seem fair to us. But because God is sovereign, he does what he chooses to do, and he always does what he says that he will do. So let's take a couple of, look at a couple of very quick lessons from Psalm 101. Number one, God is sovereign in all things. He did all of those things we just read about. 
They didn't just happen and now we give him credit for it. He did those things. He made those things happen because he is sovereign. He's in absolute control of what happens in the lives of his people, of what's happening in your life and in my life tonight. Sovereign means possessing supreme or ultimate power. It's not in your, in your notes, but Psalm 103 says, the Lord made the heavens his throne and from there he rules over everything. He rules and he reigns. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. Another translation says, he does whatever he pleases. Can I tell you something? You and I don't have the freedom to do whatever we want. I used to try to do whatever I wanted to do and my mother told me no. But God does whatever he wants to do because he's sovereign. He's God, and he has the ability, he has the authority, and he has the power to exercise his will in the world. Here's the good news. God exercises his sovereignty together with his grace. See, if God was some mean God that was up there, one of those kind of Greek kind of gods that like to throw lightning bolts and hurt people and turn people into donkeys and things like that, we would be in a heap of trouble because he could do it if he wanted to do it. But that's not the kind of God that he is. That's not who he is. He's a God of grace and a God of mercy. So whenever God exercises his sovereign authority, he does it with his sovereign grace. He does good things for his people. He brings about good things out of the bad things. He helps his people to become the people that they need to become because in addition to being sovereign and Lord of all, he's also gracious tenderhearted toward us and wants the best for us. Number two, God exercises his sovereignty, his absolute authority with his grace. First Corinthians 15, but whatever I am now, Paul said, it's because God poured out his special favor on me, his grace on me, and not without, re- and not without results, for I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working sovereignly through me by his grace. When we talked earlier about sharing the gospel, God does that sovereignly through you, not because you've earned it, learned it, achieved it, but because he is gracious and wants to save people. And when we make ourselves available to his sovereignty, in his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve, the ability to be a part of bringing people to Jesus. Ephesians 1, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us, by bringing us to himself. There's a great action verb. You didn't come to Jesus. He brought you to himself because he's sovereign. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us to those who belong to his dear son. In his sovereign grace, God has chosen us, put his hand on us, even in the times that we go through trials. God is being gracious and working sovereignly in our lives. Next item is that because of God's sovereign grace and his faithfulness to his covenants, we can trust him even in the dark times. Now, how many of you know that even though that, that synopsis that David gives us of, of hundreds of years of history, there were difficult times in the midst of that? God, and, and David's trying to make sure we understand that in all those things that happened, God did that. God was there. 
He was taking care of it. He was doing what he, what he said he would do. God was sovereign. We need to remember that so that when we walk through our difficult times, our times of chaos, our times of struggle, that we understand that God is there and he is sovereign and he is gracious so that we can trust him. And if you're having a hard time doing that sometime, just remember the things that God did. How do I do that? Well, you can start with this psalm if you want to. But there are so many testimonies of God's faithfulness. Remember what he did. Romans 9, 14. Are we saying that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it's God who decides to show mercy. We can either choose it, we can neither choose it, nor work for it. That's grace. You get what you don't deserve. You can get it, but not because you deserved it or you worked for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and chooses to harden the hearts of others so that they refuse to obey him. Let me just stop for a minute because that doesn't sound very fair, does it? That God would, would, would harden somebody's heart so that they wouldn't follow and so that he could whap them and, and punish them for doing that. Whenever God hardens someone's heart, even today, it is never before he has given, never without having given them an opportunity to follow him. He would send prophets. He sent Moses. Hey, Pharaoh, let, God says, let my people go. No, not going to let him go. How many times did Moses ask and Pharaoh said no? Was Pharaoh's heart hardened already? Yes, God will allow someone's heart to be really hardened when they have already hardened their heart. So I want to, be, I want to make it really clear. Every instance in the Bible, you can, you can see that. In Romans 1, you know, it talks about God giving them over to a darkened heart. God will give you over at a certain point to, to accomplish his purpose and will in your life, but not before he's given you the chance to follow him and obey him. Does that make sense? Everybody get that? So he did that. Well, then you might say in verse 19, why does God blame people then for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one that created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use that same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another one to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. Friends, you don't ever want to be the one who's destined for destruction. God will allow your heart to be hardened after giving you opportunities to follow him. But all of it is within God's right and ability because he's sovereign. Next point, God's sovereign purposes are completed in his timetable, not ours. The history that we sketched out in Psalm 105 just a few minutes ago took 500 years. David just covered 500 years for us in 40-some verses. 400 of those 500 years were times when Israel was in captivity in Egypt. It took that many years from the 
the, from the point, at least in this accounting, where God began that process by causing a famine in Egypt so that when Joseph got there, he could take care of things so his family could be saved, so Israel would come to Egypt, so, Israel, so Egypt could put them into bondage so that God could free them and show his great might and power. All of those things, 500 years. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of those people, I would rather that God had done that in about a week or two, wouldn't you? But God doesn't do that. And because he's sovereign, he works in our time frame, and he seldom completes things in our table, our timetable. Why does he do that? Because he's God. He's sovereign. He does as he pleases, but he always accomplishes what he said he would do. God promised Abraham the land, but when Abraham died, all he had was a cave to bury his family in. Uh, He promised to multiply Abraham's descendants, but by the time Abraham died, he had one son or two. When, when, When God told Joseph that, he, uh, that, that, he, that his father and his brothers were going to serve him. He didn't tell Joseph that he was gonna, Joseph was going to have to spend his 20s in prison. But God did that. God does not always accomplish his will in our timetable. Friends, if you get a hold of that and you understand that even though it takes longer than you want, even though those can be difficult times, God is faithful. He will finish what he said he would do. He will complete it, and he will be faithful to his promise. He's sovereign, but he's sovereignly gracious as well at the same time. God's sovereign purposes includes his creating or using trials to refine us. We already saw when we were talking about Joseph that God used those days to refine him because he needed refining. Guys, if, if Joseph was ready to go right out of the gate, God wouldn't have needed to do all those things. But God did need to do all of those things, and so guess what? He did. And he will, Steve, will he allow me to go through hard times in my life? Yes, he will. If God's loving, he would let, yes, he will. Because God's purpose will be fulfilled. He's sovereign, and he has great things for us but we sometimes have to go through difficult times to get through them and to become what it is that he wants us to do. He is sovereign and faithful and passionately committed to us. This is not in your notes, but in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas, it says, strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the, to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you, if I'd been there when you were saved and I, was, I could just say, hey, <clears throat> excuse me, welcome to the family of God, you're now gonna have to suffer. You'd have been really thrilled about that and would have hung with it as long as you have. We, none of us wanna suffer. But Paul has made it clear that sometimes in order for God to accomplish his will, we have to suffer. What do I do about that? I rest in the promise that God will safely deliver me home one day, even if I don't walk in luxury and riches and comfort and health and strength and great times while I'm here on earth. That is a part of following the sovereign move of God. But God is faithful. I was telling the staff this morning, we had staff devotions. 
One of my favorite passages is in Isaiah when it talks about the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those uh, on whom there was darkness, a light has shone and, and it goes on and it talks about Jesus coming and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor and all those things and he, all these things that are going to happen. And, and it sums, and God through, through Isaiah sums it up and he says, these things will happen because the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make it so. God has all of the riches and warriors and power and all of the things that he needs to accomplish in your life and in my life and in this world and in his church what he said he would do. All we have to do is remember that when we go through the hard times, submit to that, rejoice over that, thank him for that, and obey him when he asks us to do things that aren't always easy, always nice. Next to the last point, God shows his strength in our weakness so that all glory goes to him. You know, I'm a really nice guy. I just want to tell you, I really am. As nice as you think I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a pretty smart guy. I know some of you have a harder time believing that than others do, but I'm a fairly smart guy. I'm fairly decently educated, pretty smart guy. I'm, I'm okay, got the stuff going on, right? But listen, the fact of the matter is that the things that God does through me in my weaknesses are the things that he gets glory for. And my strengths and my abilities are nothing compared to what I need from God in order to do through me what he needs to do. So here's the thing. When God asks me to walk through, hey, God's blessed me. And by the way, please, you understand how I'm saying these things, right? I'm, all I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to be unduly modest and say, oh, I ain't got nothing, I ain't nobody. That's not true either. God has blessed every single one of us, and we should be grateful and recognize that the reason that he did it is so that he can use us. But in those dark times, in those difficult times, and I've walked through them, have you? God shows his strength when we are weakest. That's how he chooses to do it because that's how he gets the credit. That's how he gets the glory. It couldn't have happened unless God did it. Our focus in all of these things that we just read about tonight is not drawn to the greatness of Moses or, or Abraham or Joseph or any of those guys. Our focus is drawn to the goodness and the greatness and the power and the faithfulness of Almighty God. That's what's supposed to happen. Our accomplishments are God accomplishing his purpose through us by his power so that he will receive the credit and the glory. And lastly, God will accomplish his sovereign purpose and bring us safely home no matter what, even when we mess up. Because the truth of the matter is that all of these things in Psalm 105, all these amazing things that happen, that account, though it doesn't spell them out, is littered with people and leaders who failed, who failed God, who failed their people, who failed. And yet, because God is sovereign and he's going to keep his promise, and because he's gracious and he's going to keep his promise even though I don't deserve it, God accomplished his purpose 
even in spite of all of the failures of those people. And tonight, in your failures, tonight, in your struggles, tonight, in your chaos, David is saying to all of us, just take a minute and remember all of the things that God did for 500 years, let alone the last couple thousand. God is faithful. God is sovereign. He always accomplishes his purpose, and he always accomplishes it by grace and with grace toward those of us who love and serve him. And what does David say at the end of the psalm? He says that we are, we, all of those things happened in verse 45 so that they would keep his statues and observe his laws and obey him. What is our response to all of these things and all of the things that God wants us to do? First part of the psalm all the way through the last part of the th- psalm to thank him for his sovereign plan and his faithfulness toward us to thank him for his grace in accomplishing his plan in our lives and through our lives, even though we don't deserve it, to trust him, knowing that just as he fulfilled his promise in those people and took them through difficult times but delivered them to the place that he said that he would bring them, we can trust God, obey God. When God says jump, jump. When God says stop, stop. Even if it doesn't make any sense, we can trust God and therefore we obey God so that he can accomplish his sovereign work in our lives. We glorify God. We tell other people what God has done, certainly for his people in Psalm 105, but we tell God, tell people the great things that God has done in our life. What's he done for you? Give him the credit for it. You got through a hard time, give God the credit. Give God the glory for it. You, you, you made it through a tough week, give God the glory for it. Your, your loved one was healed, give God the glory for it. Whatever it is, glorify. Tell other people, make him known to other people. Make his deeds, which by its very nature causes him to be glorified. There is a plan, and in the middle of it, though it may not make any sense, may not be able to connect the dots. In hindsight, just as David did in Psalm 105, you will one day be able to to connect the dots to see that God brought you from here to here, and every step along the way, he was with you, helping you, providing for you, doing things, stopping things, starting things, causing things to happen, keeping things to happen, because he's a covenant-keeping God who is sovereign, But in his sovereignty, he is gracious. And our response to that is to obey him, to thank him, to bless him, and to share the good news about his faithfulness to us and to rest in that even when the times are difficult. Bow your heads in prayer with me. Lord, tonight all over this room, some of us are doing just great. We thank you for these days of blessing. Some of us are really struggling right now in our bodies, in our marriages, in our minds, in our families. We're struggling, and we need to see our sovereign God step in and do those things that only you can do. God, you are faithful, and you are all-powerful, and you can do those things. And even when they're difficult things that we walk through, Lord, you bring us through them. You, are, you have not forgotten us, but you have a plan, and that plan involves taking us even through those hard things. And sometimes cleansing us, proofing us, testing us so that we can be better than we need to be. Lord, 
Teach us to trust you as we remember your goodness and your grace, not only to the people of the Old Testament, but the people of the New Testament, but the people sitting all around us. Lord, you are good and you are faithful. And we thank you, we trust you, we obey you tonight, and we give you glory for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.